Hey, good morning to all of our Elevate family that have been watching us. We are very grateful. And all of our guests out there that have begun to watch us on Facebook, we're very grateful for that as well. We want to honor you. We believe that God has a very special word for those of you that are here and for those of you that are home. And we're doing a series called Don't Quit. Don't Quit. Right? Don't quit on each other. Don't quit on Jesus. Don't quit on your faith. It's too soon to quit. It's always too soon to quit. Quitting is not an option for a believer. So we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. And so perseverance is to be our lifestyle. We, there's only one way, and it's forward. It's forward. One of my favorite stories is in the book of Kings. I have a lot of favorite stories, but one of my favorite stories is in the book of Kings. There's been a huge war in the land, and there's a bunch of lepers, and they find themselves sitting at the city gates. They've just come from disaster, and now they're sitting in the middle of a disaster. And they're talking to themselves and they say, if we go back, we're going to die. If we stay where we are, we're going to die. But if we go forward, we might die. Okay. So the only option for them was to go forward, to go back. They were surely going to die to stay where they were. They were going to die. And there was an option that they would live or that there would be something hopeful for them in the future. With Jesus, there's always something hopeful. God always has a new day. He's the God of the new beginnings. He's the alpha. He's the Omega. Yesterday ended last night, and God, His mercy is new every single morning. Every morning. If you stay where you are, you're going to die. You got to get up and move forward. You got to not quit. Perseverance is our lifestyle. We are called to live by faith. Faith is trusting in the promises of God. Right? Christianity is a faith. We have faith in what the Lord says, we trust in what He says. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, the Lord says. If you want to please Jesus, he tells us how he's pleased. There's several ways, but one of the most direct ways is by him telling us that without faith, you cannot please me. Faith pleases me. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus answered and said, it is written. He's talking to his disciples. He's saying, man does not live by bread alone. You do not live according to a natural world. In Christ, we don't live according to the things of the earth. We live according to the things of heaven. We don't live by natural means. We don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. We live by God's word. Our word is not the word of the government. Our word is not the word of the media. Our word is not the word of any society. What we are as believers is that we follow and obey and our instructions come from and our lifestyle emulates the things that God says. That's who we are. That's what we're supposed to do. Thanksgiving and praise is the access point for the believer. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise, right? So if you want to access the things of the spirit, you want to access the things of heaven, it comes through praise and thanksgiving, gratitude. A lot of people right now, they feel like the Lord is distant from them. There's too much noise going on in their lives. Begin to thank him. Find something in your life to thank him for. Begin to praise him. Enter his gates. His gates will open when you praise him. His courts will be known to you when you give him thanks. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. That's our access point, but faith is the currency of heaven. You want to know what moves heaven? Human need does not move heaven. Faith moves heaven. Human need does not move heaven. Faith moves heaven. People have a problem with that. We're feelers. We're empathetic people. What do you mean God isn't moved by human need? He's not. He's not moved by human need. Watch Jesus. He walked among the sick. Didn't do anything for... They were all around him. Say they healed everyone that brought to him in that instance. But there are many instances where Jesus kept right on walking. Human need all around him. And he did nothing about it until faith was demonstrated. He didn't even feed the 5,000 until faith was demonstrated. What do you have? But what is this among so many? They offered him something and God began to do something. Faith is the currency of heaven. Human need doesn't. Woe is me. Pity me. Poor me. That doesn't do anything for God. What moves God, if you're a Christian, what moves the Lord is you knowing who you are. You're a son of the highest. He's your father. He's your provider. Knowing who you are, knowing who he is, and accessing the things that belong to you according to faith. Life change begins when you begin to implement quality decisions. People want their lives changed. This is a great season for people to have lives changed. Life can be changed right now. We're in a, we're, we're in a system and everything in the world is changing. 
isn't it? You can't even get ice cream the way you got ice cream anymore. Somebody runs the ice cream out to your car now. Yeah? Like, what's that? You know, you can't even do the things that the world is changing. So this is a great moment for people's lives to be changed. Life will change when you begin to implement quality decisions in your life. The greatest quality decision you can ever make is to make Jesus Lord. There is no greater decision. That is genius. For a person to come to Christ, you have just qualified yourself in the realm of genius. You have just reached the height of all human wisdom by giving your life to Christ, by realizing that no one can save you, only him, and that you can't do anything for you, and the only one that can do anything for you is Jesus. You're hopeless and helpless without him. When you come to Christ, that is the greatest quality decision any human being can ever make when you make Jesus Lord. The second quality decision that kind of comes off that is a willingness to pursue him for what he has promised, no matter the cost. That's a quality decision. Not just to come to Jesus, but to pursue him for the things that he has promised, no matter what it costs you. Those who come after me must what? We know the verse. Come on. Those who come after me must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So he said, no matter what it costs you, you need to lay your life down. Take up what, what is a burden to you, what even seems hard for you, what even seems difficult to you. Take a sacrifice of your own life upon you and follow me. That's how life changes. Christianity doesn't work if you play at 50%. Christianity doesn't work if you play at 30%. Jesus isn't a bellhop. He's not. We come to Christ and we think he's a bellhop. We just think we've entered the, the, the heavenly hotel and Jesus is our concierge. Can I get two concert tickets, please? You know, can you book me a conference room for later this afternoon? Oh, by the way, could you get some dinner sent up for me? That's how we treat the Lord. Like he's our bellhop or our concierge. He's none of those things. He's Lord. Will he provide? 100% he'll provide. He has greater plans for you than you have ever had for your own life. Quality decision one, Jesus is Lord. Quality decision two, pursue him for what he has promised, no matter what it costs you. That requires you to know what he's caught, what he's promised. That requires you to know your identity, know who he is, and know what he said. And be willing to pursue that. Even if it costs you your whole life. That's the story of my life. That's how I came to faith. You always tell me, calm down, Kevin. Calm down. I was like, I'm going all in on this thing. If this thing doesn't work, I'm going to figure it out in four or five years. And, I'm got, and I still, I'll still be young enough to, to see that it didn't work. You know, Because I'd never had anybody tell me. I knew Jesus was Lord and I knew he was Savior. But nobody told me anything about the promises. So when somebody started talking to me about the promises, I was like, what? There's promises? There's a benefit plan, there's a package, there's a destiny, there's a purpose, there's doors. I was created for something. That's when I began to pursue it and I went all in. I didn't care what it cost me. Take it all away. Take away everything. I'll sleep in my car. I'll eat ramen noodles. I don't care. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? I just watched these business people. I watch some business stuff a lot of times and and, uh, there's always, you know, scripture says that the sons of the age are more wiser than the sons of the light. In other words, the sons of the age sometimes understand a wisdom that's right in front of the Christian, but the Christian can't comprehend it. And these business people were saying, one of these business leaders was saying, nothing significant has has ever been achieved unless someone was willing to take a loss or make a significant sacrifice. Every business person that's ever achieved anything has taken a loss or they have made a significant sacrifice to achieve the very thing that was set in front of them. It doesn't come like Reader's Digest. You've been promised the kingdom. You've been promised transformation. You've been promised destiny. But it comes to you and will manifest to you as you are willing to give yourself to it. Seek first the kingdom of God and what is right to him and everything will be added unto you. Seek right what is first to you. That's not what the Bible tells you to do. This is why we have a lot of stumbling, mumbling, fumbling Christians that can't get forward on this stuff. It's because they think they need to do it my way. It's like Frank Sinatra. And I'm dating myself. Anybody, I mean, for people dating dating more. I did it my way. It was one of the number one song. Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Right? He did it his way. Nobody could tell him anything. We have a lot of Frank Sinatra Christians. They do it their way. Right? And they wonder why it doesn't work. They wonder why the kingdom doesn't manifest. If you're satisfied with your life as it is, then stay the same. 
But if you want change, then you must be willing to sacrifice everything and commit to what he says. Not for a week, but make it your lifestyle. You have to go all in on this gospel. It doesn't work any other way. It doesn't work. He's, Jesus isn't an accessory. He's not earrings you put on in the morning, right? Shoes or shirt. He's not, he's not a jacket that you put on on Sunday and take off on Sunday in the afternoon. I'll see you next week. Or if you have a crisis in your life, you go and find him. Oh, I got a crisis, Lord. He'll answer your crisis. He will be. But his, his desire for you is to not be the one who's always putting out your fires. He'll put out your fire every time you come to him. You don't have to worry about that. But you'll live at a level of survival. That's not his heart for you. Survival suggests success significance. Jesus, the only way people come to Christ is in a mode of survival. Come on. Anybody here, you came to Jesus and you were rolling? Everything was going right in your life? People don't come to Christ when everything's right in their life. It doesn't happen. You come to Jesus and you're in a, in a low point. Somewhere in your life, there's a low point. And that low point is the beachhead for the gospel. You can be rich and be emotionally bankrupt. You can be rich and be finan- or, not, or uh, relationally bankrupt. There can be dysfunction. Somewhere in your life, there's a tragedy or a transition or some type of trial going on. That's how people come to Christ. People don't come to Christ through patty cake. They come to Christ through a trial. And Jesus meets them at the center of their need. And he takes you at that point of need, of need, which you have a need for survival. He meets you at, at the point of survival. He calls you to himself in order to raise you to a level of success. Most Christians operate at the level of survival. They never even achieve the level of kingdom success, let alone kingdom significance. That's the high calling. We're not supposed to exist at survival. We're supposed to rise to a level of success. Success means you have enough and you have enough to share. Survival means you're just getting by. You're barely hanging on. You know? Success means you have a little bit more. Whatever it is, you have more faith. You, have, you can minister to people. You're not always in need of ministry. If you're always in need of ministry, that's okay. But you need to know that you're at the point of survival. Everybody needs ministry from some time, time to time. We all need ministry. But if you're in a constant need of ministry, you are, you are at a place of survival in your faith. God does not want you to stay in that place of survival. He wants you to be success. Success from a standpoint of ministry means you not only have achieved a level of relationship, but you're now able to minister to other people. You now can pray for people. You now can share a scripture with people. You now can encourage someone else. You've just moved from a surviving faith Christian to a success faith Christian. Come on. Come on. But he doesn't even want to leave you in success. He wants to make you significant to where you're not just doing onesies and twosies. He wants to make significance out of your life to whatever God is doing with your life. It is now impacting and affecting larger groups of people or it's making a challenging impact that's lasting. That's his desire for us. We settle when we're called. We settle for mediocrity when we're called to excellence. We settle. We're promised the promised land, but like the, like the, 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 you know, the tribe of Reuben, they wanted to stay on the other side of the promised land. They liked it outside of the promised land because it was easier. If we stay outside of the promised land, we don't have to cross the river. You know? We like it out here. That's how people are. God, did, it was, God gave it to them. You want to live like that? Go ahead. You can have it. You can have it. But it's not, it was never his will. It's not his will. A lot of believers live at a level of survival and they blame God for it. Look in the mirror. (laughs) Look in the mirror. God will provide for you. He'll provide for you in season and out. He sends rain upon the just and the unjust. Basic provision. If you're satisfied with basic provision as a believer, if you're satisfied with that, then my word to you is change nothing. If basic provision satisfies you, then don't change a thing. But if you're not satisfied with basic provision, I say to you, change everything. Change everything. (laughs) You have a willingness to pursue them no matter the cost. The third quality decision you need to make is you need to have a relentlessness that that never quits. You You want your life to change? I just gave you three quality decisions. Make Jesus Lord. Some Christians out there say, oh, he is already Lord. Is he Lord of your time? Is he Lord of your money? Is he Lord of your body? Is he Lord of your relationships? Just asking. Just asking. We make him Lord of our spirit. Oh, we've given our lives to him. But don't tell me what to do with my body. 
Don't tell me what to do with my time. Don't tell me what to do with my money. Don't tell me what to do with my relationships. Don't you tell me that. If you have that attitude, Jesus is not Lord of your life in those areas. You have to make him master and commander of every area of your life if you want transformation. We set the clock to watch a football game, but we can't come to church. who, Who manages your time? Who's in charge of that? Christians have been trained in this manner to which I'll serve the Lord as long as it doesn't inconvenience me. Who told you that? (laughs) Who told you serving Jesus was convenient? I will make no offering to God that costs me nothing, David said. If it doesn't cost me something, I'm not offering it. If I don't feel it, I'm not giving it. I'll give it, but I'm going to double down on it until until I feel it. That's how David went to the Lord. Jesus must be Lord. You have to be relentlessly pursuing. God has promises for your marriage. God has promises for your children. God has promises for your finances. God has promises for your future. But the first step is you've got to make him Lord. You've got to make him Lord of that area. You've got to find out what he says. What is his promises related to that area? Relentlessly pursue it with a, with a willingness to not quit and a willingness to do it no matter what it takes. This is how life changes. We, we quit so quickly. Human nature is to quit. Quit, right? We like to give up. I don't know why, but we do. It's just something about us. We have to rouse ourselves to a state where we're not going to quit. We're going to change, but we're not going to quit. Quitting is not an option as a believer. Change is. Everything in every way is to be about Jesus. Faith and faithfulness in his promises, even if it kills you. Huh? Oh, we don't like this verse. Be faithful unto death. (laughs) be faithful to what he says be faithful to his promises be faithful in your obedience even if it costs you your life that's the command that's the command this it's right there relentlessly pursue and never quit luke 18 1 jesus told his disciples a parable and he told them that they should always pray and never give up always pray Always seek the Lord. Always call upon God. Always believe the Lord. And don't stop doing it. Keep doing it. It's interesting. Seven verses later, Jesus says, will the the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he comes? Will he find anybody doing that? Anybody? Seeking God. Believing God. Praying for God. Reaching for the Lord. Asking. Seeking. Knocking. Will I find anybody doing that when I come? Luke Luke 11, 10 says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Do you ask? Do you ask, Christian? We don't ask a lot of times because we're afraid of being told no. Yeah? No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's what he said. Is it a good thing you want? Then ask. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He He may change it a little bit. He may turn it around a little bit. You know, relationships are the two biggest areas where you always get people's attention. You talk about money or you talk about relationships, you've got people's attention like that. <laughs> you say you want a relationship. God, that's a good thing. He that finds a wife finds a good thing. Right. It's not good that man should be alone. It's a desire. If you have that desire to, to, to want that or to believe God for that, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You should be asking. You should be seeking. You should be knocking. You should be, but you should be aware that he's going to change it. He's not going to give it to you the way you think. He's going to give you something better. Jesus doesn't match personalities. He matches hearts. I'll give you another one. Jesus doesn't match looks. He matches hearts. Doesn't mean a person's going to be uglier and unattractive to you, but they may not be as accomplished as you want them to be. Oh, he he better be a man that can provide for me. And I'm all in on that. But he better have a house. He better have a penthouse. He better have a mozzie. He better have all this. Or he is not going to get my attention. You're not going to get it. God God builds lives together. He doesn't build them separate. If you want the Lord's way, God will give you a man who has a heart that matches yours. And he won't be accomplished. He probably won't be. He'll probably be in some state of repair. Or he'll be in some state of, 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 of transformation. We want Barbies. Men want Barbie dolls, right? Everything's perfect. She's everything, right? I got to check her Instagram account. 
I need a few bikini photos, you know. I know it's going to get quiet when I say this because that's, we're just getting real. We're getting real, right? She's, she can be beautiful, but if you're, trying to, if you're trying to base your relationship with that woman solely on looks, you're in for a shock. Amen. <laughs> you're in for a shock. When I was getting married is what my pastor told me. I'm getting married, right? Sherry and I come up. We're going to get married. And my, our, I was telling our pastor we're getting married, and he's like, "That's great." And he's like, "It's cool, you know." Yeah, I, I get it. And you, just, and you know what he did? He didn't even look at Sherry. He looked at me. He looked right at me, and he said, "I just want you to know, Kevin, that you're going to be out of bed more than you're in it." And he walked away. What happens is, is what happens is, especially in the, in the relationships, we're ready to say yes to this woman. Yes. Oh God, yes. We're ready to say yes. But are you ready to say no to every other woman? That's the question. The question isn't whether you're ready to say yes to her. The question is, are you willing and ready to say no to everyone else? The question isn't whether you're ready to say yes to that man. The question is, are you willing to say no to every other man that comes along? And if you're not at that point and your heart is not set in that direction, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You have to bring yourself into alignment that, that looks like that. You have to bring yourself to a place that looks like that. That's how God does it. A lot of times we're asking for something or we're believing for something and it's misaligned. What you're asking for is a good thing. You want a husband? That's a great thing. You want a wife? That's a great thing. He's not against that. He's for it. He just wants you to succeed at it, right? It's true. Everyone who, everyone who asks receives and those who seek find and to those who knock it will be opened. That's a promise. God promises that's that. He promises us that if we seek, the context and the terminology that's being used here is continuation. So there's different verb tenses in the Greek. So the Bible comes from Koine Greek. It comes from Hebrew, but it was translated into Koine Greek. So the primary source of where we get our modern translation of English comes out of Koine Greek. So that that is the basis where all of the original language of the scripture was written. So and Koine Greek is very specific and Koine Greek is very uh, direct. And very clear. And sometimes we don't always get an accurate translation of the Greek in English. Like we have one word for love, right? There's four words for love in Greek. Right? I love cookies. I love my wife. I love my cat. I love my dog. Right? We have one word for love. They have four words. Storge would be, I like hot fudge sundaes, right? Agapeo would mean, I love and sacrifice. Phileo means I love my friends. Eros means I'm intimate. That intimate love is only for my wife. That's where we get the word erotic from. I know I said erotic in church, but that's where the word comes from. Eros. And that is a love that is shared only between a man and a woman. That's, that's eros. So I, nobody gets eros but Sherry. You understand? Other people get phileo. They get friendship love. Other people get agapeo, which is servitude love. You know, we might go have some Burger King and get some Storge love, you know, you know, I love Burger. I don't know. I'm saying I love Burger King, whatever it is, but you know, but so just to give you an understanding, like how Greek works, Greek, there's multiple layers to Greek. So when we're looking at this, we got to understand it says everyone who seeks, receives or asks, receives. And what it, what it's saying is everyone who continues to ask will receive. That's what it's saying. Everyone who continues to knock, it will be opened. Everyone who continues to seek. Well, I saw it. Nothing happened. I knocked. Nothing happened. There's two stories in the Bible. One of them is about a guy. There's two, two that relate to the same thing. Jesus, there's a guy that comes in the middle of the night. His friends show up and they're, they're hungry, right? He has no food. But hey, he knows Marcus is his next door neighbor and Marcus has food. But Marcus is asleep and his kids are asleep. But this guy doesn't care because he's got friends in from out of town and he needs some food and everything's closed. Come on, it's COVID. Nothing's open, right? And so he goes over to Marcus's house and he just beats on the door. Marcus opens the window. Hey, dude, I'm sleeping and my kids are with me. That's literally what it says. Go away, man. I'm in bed and my kids are sleeping. Stop beating on my door. And the guy's like, I have guests and I need bread. Slams the window and the guy keeps pounding on the door. How many knows he's going to go to the door and open it? Because if he doesn't open it, that dude is going to keep pounding on the door. And so he's going to go downstairs here, have all of it, close the door and go upstairs. 
that, that example was used by Jesus to show the level of persistency that he expects. It's not because he's holding anything from you. He expects you to be persistent. He expects you to have a tenacity to what you want. A, a relentlessness to what you want. Knock on that door until it's open. Bible says if we ask, we receive. He gives it. The problem isn't God giving it. The problem is, is you have a devil that doesn't want you to have it. Oh, come on. You, you ask God for something and that becomes a testimony of faith in your life. God releases the provision to you. But there's a devil who resists it, holds it back, and then starts lying to you the whole time. You've been believing God for something. Lord releases the provision. The enemy has a right of resistance. He's holding it back. And then he starts telling you, see, God doesn't love you. If he loved you, he would take care of you. He doesn't care about you. You're unlovable. You're unwanted. If he really loved you and you were really lovable, he would have what he would have. God doesn't love you. And then you go, oh, God doesn't love me. I don't care. You know. You have an enemy that wants to resist you. The other thing is, is that when God releases a promise or a purpose in time and space, time and space becomes an, uh, becomes, uh, an, an effect upon that promise. This is important. If you're a believer, if you're a charismatic believer, and you believe in the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit, you believe in the active presence of God in our lives, we have something that's an immediate activation in the anointing. Sometimes when I pray and lay hands on the sick, there's an immediate response. I can give a prophetic word. There's different things. If I look to the Lord for wisdom, it's almost immediate. That comes with the anointing. That's the indwelling presence. That's the Shekinah glory of God. But when you believe God for a promise and you believe God for a purpose, he releases it. No good thing will he withhold. But time and space begin to affect it. It comes into this world and is met with the arc of time. So in other words, circumstances, situations, and a timetable begins to come into place. It doesn't mean that the promise hasn't been sent. It doesn't mean that the prayer hasn't been answered. It means that it's being affected either by a devil or it's being affected by time and space. If it's a yes word, then it has something to do with either the devil or it has to do with time and space. It's moving through the arc of time. That's how it works. And a lot of times if it's been promised to you and you haven't had it in 10 years, I would say the devil has a right to keep it from you. Eh, God's not keeping it from you. But the devil has a right to keep it from you. What is that? That's a whole other sermon. That's a whole other teaching. How does that work? But it happens all the time. God is not keeping anything from you. No good thing will he withhold. No good thing. You have to have relentlessness not to quit. Put that dude up there. Anybody know who that is? Winston Churchill. He became famous in World War II. All of Europe had fallen to the Nazis. England was the last nation standing. And the pressure was on the English people to surrender. Quit. Give up. Yield. Churchill said, we will fight on the beaches. We will fight on the landing grounds. We will fight in the fields. We will fight in the streets. We will fight in the hills. But we will never surrender. That's the kind of relentlessness you have to have to your faith. That's the kind of relentlessness you have to have to following Jesus and believing God to the promises. doesn't matter what fight I have to go through. doesn't matter what mountain I have to climb. doesn't matter what I got to get. I'm going to get what God has promised me. I'm going to get it. You have to have that level of tenacity and that level of relentlessness. He wants it. Right? We think we're bothering God. You're not bothering Jesus. You're not bothering him. He loves it. He loves it. He adores faith, absolutely adores it. When you look at Jesus and you say, I believe you are good, Lord. I believe you are generous and I believe you are willing. I'm going to give you a prayer of faith right now. There's a prayer of faith. And I believe that you will meet me in this circumstance. I don't know how, but I believe faith. You've just released faith. God is moved by faith. Faith moves the Lord. I have not found such great in all, faith in all of Israel. What happened to the centurion? He encounters the centurion. Jesus is cruising down the road. He's moving to the next town. He's got his entourage with him, right? Centurion meets him and says, Lord, my servant lies sick. Jesus said, I'll come. I'll go. This is a Gentile. This is not somebody that he should even associate with. Rabbis didn't associate with that type of person. But Jesus is like, no worries. So if you think Jesus isn't going to associate with you, who told you that? If you think you're too far gone for Jesus, who told you that? Who told you that? You may be too far gone for religion, but you're not too far gone for Jesus. 
He didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a revolution. It's important to know. <laughs> and so he tells, the, he, tells the, um, he tells the centurion, I'll come to your house. And the centurion says, no, 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 don't come to my house. If you will just say the word. Jesus went, what? I mean, you, you actually believe that if I say it, something's going to happen? And the centurion's like, yes. There's only a couple of times in all of the scripture. I point this out to you often. It's only like maybe two or three times where Jesus was surprised. And this is one of them. He's not, not much surprised Jesus, but the faith of that centurion surprised him. He looked at his disciples and he said, I've not found such faith in all of Israel. Our faith is in what the Lord says. Our faith is in what he tells us. You have to be a person that says he said it. You have to know that the enemy wars. This is huge. This is why we teach this so much. The enemy wars against your identity. He wants to keep you in a position of where you don't know who you are. Jesus says, daughter, daughter, you don't know what I did last night. Doesn't matter. If you're in Christ, your daughter, full rights of inheritance, full rights of inheritance. <laughs> says, son. He wants you to understand we need to believe who we are based not upon what we think or what others tell us. We believe and know who we are based upon what he says. It's only what he says. I'm a son of the highest. It doesn't matter what I think. My opinion is irrelevant. The Lord calls me son of the highest. My job is to now live as a son of the highest and begin to make my decisions, my lifestyle, everything is a son of the highest. If I'm a son, then what does God expect of me? He expects me to be about my father's business. So now I need to understand what God expects from me as a son and what he wants from me as far as his business. What role do I play in my father's business? Y'all, if you're in Christ, you're in your father's business. And pastors say, church isn't a business. Oh, yes, it is. It's your father's business. It's your father's business. It absolutely is your business. And we're called to play a role and play a place. You have a, you have a, a role. You are an executive. And the greatest dare I use the word corporation, the universe has ever known. And you're, you're in an executive position, aren't you glad? You just don't even know it. <laughs> the enemy is trying to get you and convince you of someone that you are not. He's trying to tell you that your past disqualifies you. No, it doesn't. He's trying to tell you that your, your choices disqualify you. No, they don't. If you, are, if, you were, if you will confess your sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. The devil only has rights in the things that you won't confess. If he claims a right to you, it's because you're holding something. The Lord goes, hey, 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 Kevin, I need you to repent for that. I need you to repent for that attitude or that thing. You went, you went over the line. And if I'm willful and arrogant and say, no, I'm not repenting for that or I don't think, feel like I need to repent for that, then the enemy claims a right. He not only claims a right to the sin, he claims a right of rebellion. Because eh, now I'm rebelling against what God told me. Repentance isn't, repentance is, I say this all the time. Repentance is not a punishment. Repentance is a gift, right? Are guardrails a punishment? Oh, I'm being punished. I keep hitting the guardrail. The guardrail is what keeps you on the road, right? Keeps you from going over the cliff. That's what repentance is. Repentance is what keeps you back on the road. The stripes on the road. It keeps you in the lane. We repent. We turn around, right? That's the idea. We acknowledge, wow, I was wrong. Guess what? You're weak. If you think you're going to get it right, you're, you're not. You're not. That's another part of our lifestyle. I live repentance as a lifestyle. I love it. I ask the Lord, you have anything you want me to repent for? Is there anything? Anything at all? Anything you want me to repent for? Because I know the Lord is good. And I know the devil is bad. And I know the devil can't do anything to me. The prince of this world comes, but he has nothing in me, Jesus said. What's it tell us? First of all, Jesus was sinless. Second of all, that the devil, what the devil uses against us is what's in us. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm asking the Lord. I, I feel like he has to tell me to calm down sometimes. Okay, we're good. We're good. If there's anything on the list, I'll let you know. <laughs> I'm like, what do we got, Lord? What do we got? You got anything? Devil's bi- good God, bad devil. I don't want anything in the way of his blessing, and I don't want anything that gives the enemy a right against me. I want the blessing of God. I want the fullness of God. Don't quit. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not be weary in our well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. Don't quit. I'll tell you again, Christian. Say this with me. The only way, as a believer, I lose is if I quit.
That's right. There is no way. You are undefeatable in Christ. You cannot be defeated. The only way you can be defeated is if you quit. That is the only way. The enemy has not, no other thing against you to, to stop the power of God from moving in your life other than to get you to quit. If he can get you to quit, he can steal, kill, and destroy. Right? If he can get you to give up, then he can claim what God has promised you and keep you from it. You have to develop a no-quit attitude. We never lost a football game. We just ran out of time. Who said that? Vince Lombardi. Yeah, it's on the screen. Right? Vincent, the, the, not that I'm into the football right now, but anyway, the, 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 the National Football Trophy is called the Lombardi Trophy. So it's named after this guy. And one of the things he said is he said, we never lost a football game. We, only, we just ran out of time. That's a no-quit attitude. In other words, if we're still playing, then we still got a shot to win. We only quit because time ran out. That's the attitude we have to have. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. All of your life flows into your, from, from your heart. I want you to know this. This is really huge. This is a key. This is a cornerstone of understanding. What you put into your heart is what's going to come out of your heart. What you put into your heart is what's going to affect you. If you're, putting, if you're feeding on negativity and you're feeding on toxic environments and you're feeding on, on whatever it may be, corrupt things, then that, all of that is going to come into your heart and that is going to come out of you. Right? Anybody listen to crazy, like, let's just play music, right? Let's just, I don't know, uh, heavy metal, like, like thrash metal, you know? Listen, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, right. I'm, I'm down. I'm with you. I'm with you. But to me, it has an effect on me. That type of thing has an effect on me. I start getting an attitude, you know? I start, like, having a little edge to me. Right? It's true. What you put into you. And, and, and like right now, in this day and age that we're, we're, where we're at, and, and all of this noise and information that's coming, there's a ton of negativity being, pro, being spoken. There's a ton of fear being spoken. Now, I know the people, the last thing anybody, the last things Christians will ever admit is that they're afraid. Right? Our behavior will tell us one thing. But if you say, are you afraid? I'm not afraid. No, I don't fear. No, I'm not afraid. I'm not fear. Meanwhile, you look at their actions and you're like, you look like you're afraid to me. No, I'm not. I'm not afraid at all. <laughs> it's crazy. But if we're feeding on the sphere and we're feeding on negativity and we're feeding on toxic stuff, don't be surprised why you're afraid. You have to feed on faith. In uncertain times, in all times, but especially in uncertain times, you have to feed on faith. You have to feed on positivity. You have to feed on hope. What you put in your heart is what's going to come out of you. You have entry points to your heart are your eyes. What you look at affects you. What you listen to affects you. And the environments that we find ourselves in, surrounded by, anybody like toxic environments, negativity, everything's just negative, Debbie Downers, right? (laughs) Loser Larry, everything's negative, you know, everything's negative. Those are people you like to hang out with. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to go to the movie tonight with Debbie Downer and Loser Larry. That's where I'm going. Did you like the movie? No, I didn't like the movie. Is there any movies you like? I don't like any movies. Then why'd you come? I didn't have anything else to do. (laughs) You have to watch the people you associate with. You have to determine in your heart that you're going to feed your heart on good things. You're going to listen to positive things. You have to cut out all this negative stuff. Different things affect different people differently. I, full disclosure, cannot watch the news. I just can't. I just can't. It produces such a level of anxiety in me, and it provokes me into a negative context every time. My wife, she has no problem. She can eat popcorn. I'm like, this doesn't bother you? She's like, no, not at all. It doesn't bother me at all. Me, it affects me. And because I realize that it affects me, I don't watch it. I find other things. If I'm not feeding on the scripture or I'm feeding on something positive, I listen to a lot of positive people. I listen to people that are going somewhere and successful or whatever because that's the type of thing that I want to influence my life. Those are the driving components that I want in my life. I don't need all this negativity. I don't want it. Because the only thing it does is it makes me waste time. It brings my mind and my heart into a place that I don't want it to be. I just don't. I don't want it to be in that place. And then I find I wasted the whole day because I'm worrying about something that I have no control over. 
and I just wasted the whole time. I don't know about you, but time's short. Yeah. And I don't know if y'all looked in the mirror lately, but you know, time's getting shorter. <laughs> the meter's running. I don't have any time to waste, nor do I want to waste it. What goes in, what comes, what comes out. You can either inspire your heart or you can poison your heart. What happens when you listen to this? And this is you seeing this exactly right now. When you listen and feed your heart on this stuff, you feel defeated. There are a lot of people right now that are feeling defeated. Ah, they want to quit. They want to give up. Everything seems hopeless. It seems endless. You're feeding on the wrong thing. This is a huge one. This is happening across the globe with churches. Division. We start feeding all all this stuff and we divide one from the other. Over what? Over politics? We're dividing over a social thing that we have no control over? Well, you don't understand. Listen, oh, I do understand. You are called to the kingdom. We are to unite no matter what. There is to be no schism in the body of Christ. There is no color. There is no creed. There is no differentiation. Jesus is not Democrat, Republican, or Independent. Jesus is kingdom. That's what he is. There should be no division. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a view. Everybody's entitled to a view. Have your opinion, but respect the opinion of the other person. Can you do that without having hostility, without having division? We talk about our Christian witness. Well, this is our Christian witness. I don't come to that church anymore. I'm not talking to that person, but like a bunch of babies. I got a word for you. Grow up. Grow up. That's what the Bible tells you to do. Grow up in your faith. And it tells you that if you're divisive and you get offended at everybody's little thing, then you are carnal. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. If you will divide from another over someone else's point of view, you're carnal. You're fleshly, you're worldly. Don't claim spiritual. You can say, I'm a Christian, but I'm a carnal one because I don't like other people. We're all good. Who's this? This is, you know, uh, Blanche. I'll just use somebody's name that nobody has, you know. This is my Christian sister. She's carnal. She's admits it. Oh, yeah, I'm a carnal Christian all the way. I really don't like people, so if I don't like your opinion, I'm going to divide from you. That's carnality. That's not gospel. That's not kingdom. The world will know you're our disciples. How? Anybody? Can we, can we quote this one? The world will know you are my disciples by the way you what? Love one another. What is that word? Agapeo. That word for love is agape. It means self-sacrificing love for the sake of another. Huh? How many people are willing to lay down their political opinions right now in a self-sacrificing way for the love and the respect of another person? Democrat, Republican, Independent, I don't care. Are you willing to lay down your point of view and honor another? If you're not, you're carnal. And it's time to grow up. Oh, I'm making you mad. I'm turning you off right now. We turn it on for a reason. This is the word for you. The enemy is at work right now to divide the body of Christ. Right now. If he can divide the unity of the body of Christ, he's already working to silence the churches. Churches can't meet. Oh, that's totally of God. That's the Lord's will. Well, pastor, you don't understand. I don't care. I don't live by social standards, and I know that offends people. Other people rah-rah read me. Other people get mad. I live by what the Lord says. Every word that comes forth from his mouth is what I live by. What do you live by? Just saying. No, seriously. When are you going to come to terms with you, your faith? When are you going to come to terms with, with, with your faith and what your faith demands of you? When? At what point? Pick a day. A year from now? Five years from now? Never? Just pick a day. When are you going to grow up and become the person that God has called you to be? When are you going to stop playing Christianity? And stop playing like you're a Christian or being convenient Christian. When are you going to live and love when it's hard? When are you going to unite when everything in you wants to divide? When? When? Just a question. We have to know this stuff. We have to grow up and we have to realize who's causing the division. The devil's causing the division. Jesus is a unifier. The devil's number one tactic is divide and conquer. That's the first thing he does. He's got a playbook. He's only, he only does... Listen, the devil's, the devil's really simple. He only does like four or five things. 
And we're, we're so ignorant, we can't even figure out the four or five things that he does. We can't understand that where there's division, huh? That, that, that God's not there. The enemy is dividing. Stop dividing. Love each other. Respect each other. Honor the person that is weaker than you. Well, I, don't, I think my opinion is more intelligent. It may be. Your brother may have a weaker opinion than you, but honor the weaker brother. Your sister may have a weaker opinion than you. You may be the smartest one. You may have the revelation on this. That's great. But you're supposed to honor the one that's weaker. Not condemn them. Not belittle them. Just a thought. Let's try love. Can we love one another? Can we try that? Can we respect one another? Can we try that? Let's try that. Just love each other. Respect each other. Agree to disagree. King Jesus. He's the only one that matters. The enemy tries to defeat you. He tries to divide you. He tries to discourage you. Make you hopeless. And I'll give you another one. This is a big one. He tries to distract you. Some of you have a great calling on your life. There are people that are watching right now. And you guys have. You have. There's a calling on your life. And you're letting all the noise of this circumstance distract you. Waste your time. Take your attention. Take your energy. Take your focus. Getting caught up in stories and narratives that have nothing to do with the calling that's on your life. Nothing. The enemy uses this type of stuff to distract you. Get your eye off the ball. If I can get you to waste five years, he's won. If he can get you to waste five months, he's won. I don't want to give him an hour. I don't want to give him a minute. I want to give him a second. I'm not going to be distracted. The temptation is there to be distracted. Right? They're burning Bibles in Portland. I know. Jesus is still on the throne. I believe it's a setup for a revival. I believe God's going to turn it all out for good. Do I commend them for burning Bibles? No. But you know what I say? Where darkness, where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You know what I say? When darkness comes in like a flood, I say it's a revival. I say, get ready. <laughs> it's a get ready. <laughs> that stuff produces nothing. That's a hopeless journey. Christ is the hope. Get ready. We have to have the right attitude. Don't get distracted. If you have a call of God on your life, stop getting distracted. There's a dream and a desire and a drive for your life. Don't let it defeat you. Don't let it divide you. Don't let it discourage you. Don't let it distract you. We don't live by bread alone. We position, we pursue, we present our lives in alignment with God's word no matter what. And we cast aside every weight. Hebrews 12. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. The Bible says that we'll actually come before a hall of faith. If you ever read what the Bible tells us was going to happen... In the world to come, you would, you would, that, if you just would read two or three of the passages that I'm about to tell you, or just get this idea in your heart, your life would change. Jesus says in that kingdom, what was done in secret will be heralded from the housetops. There is going to be a progression of faith in God in that day, not just when you die, but there's going to be a celebration when Jesus brings about the consummation of all things. We're going to inherit and get Kevin, but there's going to be a day where God starts doling out reward. Just like Joshua starts doling out that reward, a day will come and there'll be a parade of faith. And what you've done in secret, the angels will proclaim from the housetops. What will they proclaim over you? That day's going to come. Here comes John Smith. Silent. Crickets. Here comes Mary Sue. Crickets. Crickets. Here comes John Smith, the one who gave his heart for the gospel, who was faithful in season and out, who was determined to follow God no matter what. The one who believed God for the promises, inherited the promise. What, I mean, that's the type of thing that's going to be heralded over you. Are you going to get crickets? What's going to be heralded over your life? Faith or faithlessness? That's one of the things. Another thing you're going to do is you're going to come before a hall of faith. So we're going to have a heralding moment. We're going to come down in a procession and the Lord is going to herald you. This daughter believed me when no one else would. This daughter waited for me patiently when everybody else said it couldn't happen. She held her faith and she saw and she received. That's the type of stuff he's going to herald. And you're going to come before a hall of faith, right? I'm well aware of this one, right? You're going to come before a hall of faith. Like you ever got, I don't know if you ever watch Vikings or not, but one of the things, one of the lures of Vikings, they would go to a place called Valhalla and they would not die in weakness, 
They refused to die in weakness because they were going to come before the hall of their fathers. And their greatest fear was not that they died. Their greatest concern was that they died and they had to face their ancestors in shame. That was their greatest concern. Not that they died. We're going to come before a hall of faith greater than Valhalla. We're going to stand before Abraham's. We're going to stand before Ezekiel's. We're going to stand before Jeremiah. The Bible says of whom the world was not worthy. Torn by lions, sawn asunder, burned at the stake. All kinds of crazy things. What's your testimony? What's their testimony? Well, we were just, you know, we just, we just hunkered down till Jesus came. You know? Weakness. I will not do that. I refuse. I refuse. We will present our lives to the Lord. The Bible says your life will be refined as haywood and stubble, silver and gold. What you've done for Jesus will be a treasure. And that treasure of your life you will present to him. That will happen. This isn't poems. You will see it and it will happen. The angels will refine your life and say, here's, your, here's the treasure. And he, the treasure will be yours and say, this is what I present to you, Lord. What will you present? The Bible says that there will be many who will present nothing. They'll be saved. They receive the kingdom, but by smoke. They're coming into the kingdom, but they have nothing to present to him. Zero. Do you want to come before the Lord and present nothing? Are you, are you serious? It's like going to everybody been to a Christmas party and everybody brings a gift, but you, I know if you ever been, you ever had that happen. You're like, Walgreens is still open. I'm going, you know, you didn't know there was a gift exchange. You just show up and everybody's got presents. That's happened to me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) off I go. You don't want to come before Jesus at the Christmas party. At, the, at that party and not have anything in your hands. You have to make quality decisions. Believe God in this hour. Believe Him. This is a great hour for faith. Faith shines. Light shines brightest in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Let your light shine, Christian. Have faith. Make quality decisions. Guard your heart. There's a great effective door open before you and there's many adversaries. I love that verse. We want a door. There's a door of opportunity right now, but there are adversaries. The enemy wants to defeat you, wants to discourage you, wants to divide you, wants to distract you. All to keep you from coming through the door of opportunity that God has for you right now. There's an opportunity right now. You just can't see it. A great and effective door has been opened to me, but there are many adversaries. Oh, we all want the open door, but we don't want the adversaries. (laughs) Lord Jesus, give me that open door. Hallelujah. The door that no one can close. The door that you can close and no one can open, but that door that's opened only for me. Give me that door. Jesus is like, you can have the door. But every time I open that door, those adversaries are going to come. They're going to challenge you to see how relentless you are to go through that door. They're going to challenge you. They're going to oppose you with the door you can have. We pray. We position When you pray, Jesus positions the door. Some of you, just like we're talking about, God has given you a promise. You're believing God for something good. He says, you can have it. He starts positioning the door. But after he positions the door, the door's already there. God sets the door in the wheel of time. So the door is now opened and it will turn in the wheel of time. And you'll be standing here and the wheel will come and that door of opportunity will present itself. But most people aren't ready. And so the wheel of time has to turn again. And turn again and turn again. God will give you the door and he will set it within the wheel of time. Though the vision tarries, wait for it, for it shall surely come. God will set the door in the wheel of time. But he will also start preparing you. And here's where we get to fight back. This is the biggest problem. You cannot wait for the open door to prepare yourself for the open door. You have to prepare yourself before the open door comes. Say this with me. There's no such thing as luck. Only ready. No such thing as luck. You have to be ready. You can have the opportunity of a lifetime today, but if you're not ready, it's going to pass you by. And the person next to you gets it, and you go, oh, you were lucky. No, they were ready. You weren't. That's how it is. Say this. Big doors swing on little hinges. It's the little things that you do. Faithful in the little things. You will be entrusted with much. So when God begins to prepare you, you're saying, God, I'm believing you for this. I'm believing you for a promotion this year. And Jesus says, get, clean up your resume. Take some classes. 
do this. Oh, I don't want to do that. I just want the promotion. He's preparing you. God will open the door. God will set it in the wheel of time, and he will begin to turn it in your direction. But he's going to prepare you. Lord, bring me a husband. Lord, bring me a wife. I would say, are you marryable? Would you marry you? <laughs> Famous story of my wife. My, my wife, used, she, you know, Sherry's good looking, so she had a lot of good looking friends. Whatever, it's all good. She's got a lot of friends, but some of her friends were pretty girls. And there was a guy that he used to, wanted to get with one of her friends. She was single, right? And, she, she, and he goes to Sherry. He's like, um, hey, can you set me up with her? And Sherry looked at him and goes, well, I'm going to tell you straight. First of all, she is not going to go for this. That's what she said. Because he wore tracksuits, right? This girl, this girl is like on another level. And it wasn't that he wasn't. He was, a, he was a solid guy. He had good character. He had a job. He had a lot of things. But he's, rest, he's walking around like he's John Gotti. You know what I mean? He's in a tracksuit. He looks like he's, looks like he's from Brooklyn. You know? And he wants to get with this really pretty girl. And he's asking Sherry to be the go-between. And Sherry just tells him what time it is. She's like, dude, if you want to get with her, you're going to have to change this. Because she is not going to go for this. You're going to have to change something about yourself. And a lot of people want that opportunity. They want that door to open. But are you presenting yourself in a way that you can be, you, you're marryable, Right? Are you presenting yourself? Are you working on yourself? Are your character? Is your faithfulness in God being developed while you're single? Because when you get married, if, you don't, if that faithfulness isn't there, you're going to have a very shallow well to draw on. And you will need that well to draw on when you get married. <laughs> all should not seek to be married, for such shall have trouble in this life. Can I get an amen from all the married people? That's right. Marriage is wonderful. Marriage is great. Marriage is awesome. But there's trouble. You have two sinners trying to live together. Happy day. Two sinners have a bunch of baby sinners. Now you got four sinners living in a house. And everybody's supposed to get on them. Everybody's supposed to get along. <laughs> Didn't work. I've tried. <laughs> Believe me. So here's your homework. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to believe God. You're going to have some faith. Faith in right now. You're going to ask the Holy Spirit. Just say it with me. You're going to say it. I'm going to help you. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you setting before me in this season? The Lord's going to give you an open door. Let him show you something. A desire might rise in your heart. A dream might come up in your heart. Something that you've long forgotten might come to you because you're asking the Lord for something and he's going to start stirring you. He may tell you something that you don't know or you never even considered. But you ask him, what are you setting before me in this season? Take your dreams, desires, align it with his purpose. And then you ask him this, Holy Spirit, come on, Holy Spirit, what do I need to do to get ready? So he's going to stir your heart. And then he's going to, then don't be surprised if he doesn't start dealing with your attitude. You know, because you've heard him. He stirs your heart. I'm going to set this door before you. Then all of a sudden you're like, man, God just keeps convicting me on my attitude. Why? Because he's, he's preparing you for the open door. If we ask him, he'll give you the door. Then you're going to ask him to, what do you need? What do I need to correct? Let him correct you. Let God correct you. You do not want circumstances to correct you. You do not. You want the Holy Spirit to correct you. God says, I will guide you with my eye if you'll let me. But if you won't, then you will be guided by the bit. Yeah, that's scripture. So here's the question. The circumstances are going to guide you by the bit, just like a horse, and they're going to pull you. Or you can listen to the Lord, and the Lord will guide you with his eye. He'll just say, go that way. Go that way. He'll show you. If you're sensitive and you're open to letting the Lord guide you with his eye. But if you won't, <laughs> circumstances will guide you. It's better to let Jesus guide you. Trust me. People want a business. I'm going to close right here. I'm already over. Not quite, but I'm, I'm close. I'm going to close right here. I'll just say this. We'll touch on it again. People want a business. Saying, I'm believing that my business is going to expand this year. I would ask you, is your business scalable? I want a million-dollar business. Is your business in a scalable position to produce that and to receive that kind of revenue? Don't say you want a million-dollar business when you're working on $100,000 and you have no scalable way to get there. I want a million-dollar business, and, I need to, and you're going you're to set up a plan and a scalable plan to receive that million dollars. Now, okay, that's prepared. I want a marriage. I want to get married. I want a relationship. Are you marriable? Have you developed? And if you are married, are you developing the tool set that it takes to make a marriage succeed? Marriage is only one part of the problem, man. To be successful and to be lasting, you have to develop tools, 
relational tools. So some of you, you're in a struggle even relationally within your marriage. So what needs to change? There needs to be some tools added to this thing. There needs to be some attitudes changed. There need to be some things that change. Some of you have a calling. God has a better future for you. You have to be willing to let go of everything. Nothing is sacred. Nothing is sacred. Don't quit. Go forward and hold nothing back. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things choke out the word. That tells us why we can't produce fruit. The parable of the sower, the seeds were sown. Two, 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 plant, two plants didn't grow. Two plants did, but only one produced fruit. This one grew. A lot of Christians are like this. Their plant grew, but they can't produce any fruit because everything's being choked. What's choking them? The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of vain pursuits, empty pursuits. And it becomes unfruitful. So what does that mean? What are you involved in that is choking the call of God on your life? What are all these extracurricular activities? What is all this noise? What are you paying attention to? What are you getting involved in that has nothing to do with the call of God? What's choking you out? Right? That's the question. And find out what that is and get rid of it. Determine that the call of God is more important than this. But I love him. It doesn't matter. But I love her. It doesn't matter. But I love it. It doesn't matter. If it's choking out the call of God, you need to get rid of it. What are the motivations and desires that are not of God? That's what he's saying. That this pursuit of deceitful riches and desire for other things. Desires. There's nothing wrong with desires. But these are wrong, wrong aligned desires. You want it only for you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. He'll give it to you. When you understand that it's about him and not about you. Make quality decisions. Here's the wrap up. One more time. What have we talked about? Make, say with me, make quality decisions. Guard my heart. Grow up. Be faithful. Believe God for the open door and get ready. Amen? All right, let me bless you. Let me say this. If if you're watching us and you've never made that quality decision to make Jesus Christ Lord, you need to. You are lost and you cannot save yourself. You are hopeless and helpless. You are separated from the very life that God came to give you. People say that, oh, we're all God's children. No, we're not. The Bible says that they that receive Christ are given the ability and the power to be sons and daughters of God. Every pure person is a creation of God, but not everyone is in God's family. And the way you come into God's family, the Bible tells us. It tells us, first of all, we have to acknowledge that we're separated, that we've sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, separated. The wages of that sin is eternal condemnation, separation. But the gift of God is life through Jesus Christ. So we have a sin problem. We have a separation problem. And we have a solution that only comes through Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but by him. He is the only way. But the good news is, is that all who come to me, Jesus said, I will not cast you away. Just come to me. I'm not going to cast you away. I'm not going to think poorly of you. If anything, God commends you for coming to him. You say, what do I need to do? It's real simple. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, Romans 10, 9, and you will be saved. Real easy. It constitutes a relationship. When we believe in our heart, we commit our heart and we prove it with the words that we say. And so we're going to do a prayer and this is a prayer of, of, this is a prayer of salvation. This is a prayer where you can receive Christ. You can open your heart and Jesus is going to come in. How do I know he'll do it? Because he will. He absolutely will. If you're willing to pray, he's willing to do. He said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens their, opens their door to me, the door of the heart, I will come in and I will commune. I will be one with you. This is why Christians know Christianity is like no other, no other faith. Because we serve a living God who lives inside of us. We become born again and God comes into us. And we can't explain it, but it's true. And so we're going to pray. And Elevate here is going to pray with us. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ and you're watching, you've never given your life to Christ, we want to give you this opportunity. Simple prayer. And if you're in the room with somebody else, don't be shamed. Everybody in the room, if there's multiple people watching, just pray. Everybody pray together. Just open up your mouths. Let's just say it. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. And I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. 
I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We're going to bless you. Come on. I'm going to bless you one more time. This is the blessing. Come on. Yeah, we can clap. We got like smatterings. Always good to clap. People confess Christ. That's always good. Anytime there's an opportunity to confess Christ, that's a great opportunity. Just clap. So why don't we bless you one more time? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. In Jesus' name.